What's up, everybody? How we doing? Well, hey, we're so glad that you came out to Summit Park Church today. You made a great choice. We also want to welcome all those watching online and then all those joining us at the South Campus, South Side. What's up? What is up? And we just want to show you that we love you and appreciate you for tuning in. So everybody everywhere, would you put your hands together? Come on, let's cheer for all those watching. So glad to have you. So we're kicking off a brand new series called Follow, okay? Brand new series called Follow. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, you following me? Come on, just tell him, you following me? Here's the reality. We're all following something, right? Following people, we're following things. Let me ask you, how many in here are fans of Star Wars? You're a Star Wars fan? Southside, online, you're a Star Wars fan. Okay, how many are uh, a fan of Star Trek? Yeah? Okay, less. Just a few, a few less. Okay, how many, how many are Chiefs fans? We're all the Chiefs fans. Okay, there we go. There we go. How many are Raiders fans? Oh, my goodness. Oh, brave souls, brave souls. Okay, how many are fans of the spring? Okay, you like the weather, the spring. The allergies, just kidding, maybe some have allergies. How many like winter? I'm just curious. Okay, got a few people, some, again, some brave souls. All right, so uh, we're going to do a little survey. So if you're watching online or South Campus, make sure you participate. Uh, but how many have a Facebook? Raise your hand. You got a Facebook. Okay, how many have Instagram? You're on the gram, okay? All right, how many have Twitter? Okay, okay. How many have Snapchat? How many have Zanga? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't exist anymore, I don't think. They had it way back in the day when I was in college when there was horse and buggy still. So, But here's the reality. Who or what we uh, follow is important. And here's why. Because it influences how we think, how we view life, and ultimately what we value. So we got two kids, Ellen and Max, uh, the daughter is 11, son is 9, and he likes video games, okay? So typical 9-year-old boy, loves playing video games, but he also likes doing something else, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. He likes watching people who play video games. Is anybody else into this? All right, okay, just my 9-year-old. Okay, some brave, again, some brave souls. You just like watching people. I, I'm like, why don't you just play the game? I don't know, but he is really, really into it. So guess what he wants to be when he grows up? He wants to be a YouTuber. Yeah, exactly, because this has influenced our son's life. Now, here's the reality. If I don't have to pay for college, okay, great. But as long as he's not going to be mooching off us for the rest of our lives, then it's going to be okay. But uh, and now some of those YouTubers are, are millionaires, so maybe I can benefit from this. I don't know, but who we follow influences us, Influ influences what we view our life as and how we um, live our lives and what we, we value. Now, in Jesus' day, people would follow someone else to learn from them and ultimately in hopes to become more like them. And this is what Jesus did. This was the model kind of Jesus that uh, Jesus had. He had people following him. He called people to follow him in his earthly ministry. And Jesus uh, said this a lot. He told Andrew, follow me. 
He told Andrew, follow me. He told Peter, follow me. He told the religious teachers, follow me. He told Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. He told all of his disciples multiple times, follow me. He told the rich young ruler, follow me. And he told the crowds who followed him, guess what? Follow me. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted people to follow him. In fact, he put it this way. In John chapter 8, verse 12, this is what it says. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you, say it with me, follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Here's what Jesus is saying. Like, hey, if you want to go through life and you don't want to stumble and fall and make mistakes and just, you know, not know where you're going, here's what you need to do. You just need to follow me because here's what will happen I'll turn on the light for you. It's gonna help you navigate life. It's ultimately gonna help you to show you where you can find life, and that's what we're all looking for. So here's the, here's the purpose of this series. It's simply this. It's to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to learn what it means to follow Jesus. So, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're gonna answer this question in this series, and we're gonna look at some people's lives to figure out the answer. Okay, and so today we're going to look at a guy by the name of John the Baptist. All right, John the Baptist. Turn to your neighbor right now, look him in the eye and say, hey, are you Baptist? Go on, just ask him. Are, are you Baptist? Presbyterian? You know, non-denom? Undecided? Well, John was Baptist, at least they, they claim him to be, okay? So here's the thing, with John the Baptist, here's kind of his background. So his calling in his life was to prepare the way for Jesus. That's what he was to do. So he went as a forerunner for Jesus and to prepare the way. And so he also was kind of, um, he was kind of extreme. You know, he was kind of intense. Maybe some of you could say he was a little bit crazy, all right, because he ate locusts and honey. I'm assuming he dipped the locusts in the honey, which would make it more better, okay, but it still probably wouldn't make it taste very good. And he also had camel's hair, for clothing, which I don't know how that would work out if it was really windy outside. I mean, I don't know what happened there. But this was John the Baptist, okay? He was prophesied about in the Old Testament that he would come. But here's what he was doing. He was helping people repent and turn to God so that they would be open to the message Jesus was bringing. Okay, that's what John the Baptist was sent to do, was to preach to them, to get everybody ready. Like, all right, hey, y'all need to repent and turn to God because there's someone that's coming. And so he was a forerunner. He was almost like a warning, like an alarm going off before Jesus would, would come onto the scene. Which, by the way, have you guys noticed on uh, Google Maps and Apple Maps now, it lets you know where there's like speed traps up ahead? Have you guys noticed this? Oh my goodness, isn't that so convenient for people who speed? You know, like my, my, maybe my friends and, and some other people, you need to pray for them. You need to pray for them. But it was a warning, and that's what John the Baptist was. He was like a forerunner. He's like, hey, this is what's coming. This is what's up ahead, so you need to prepare before he comes onto the scene. So that was the role of John the Baptist, was to open the hearts of the people to God's message. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Though uh, John the Baptist actually didn't physically follow Jesus, he was still a follower 
of Jesus, okay? So as we're in this follow series, we still chose him as one of the guys, and we're gonna look at a characteristic that he exhibits that will teach us a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus. But, but John the Baptist was still a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna show you this. Look at a couple of verses here, Matthew chapter three, verses 13 and 14. This is what it says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, which, as a side note, okay, so here you have Jesus going to John the Baptist to be baptized. If Jesus got baptized, then we need to get baptized, okay? So if you've not been baptized, here's a shameless little plug. I know I did announce, but here, here's another little plug, all right? We have a baptism event on April 18th. I want to encourage you to be water baptized because if Jesus needed to do it, man, we need to do it as well, okay? Back to the message. All right, so, but John tried to talk him out of it. All right, so John the Baptist, he's coming to Jesus, or, or the, Jesus is coming to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like, whoa, well, this is not what's supposed to happen. And then he says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? In other words, John the Baptist is like, whoa, you're the leader. Like, you're the one calling the shots. Like, I'm following you and not the other way around. Why are you going to have me baptize you? And he says in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, so it says, The next day, John, John being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You could almost say that John the Baptist could have been one of the first converts, if not the first believer. I mean, maybe Jesus' mom, Mary, was like the first convert because you know your mom always believes in you. Okay, so there's that. But John the Baptist was probably the second believer um, because he's like, hey, this guy right here, he's the Lamb of God. He's the sacrificial lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist was definitely a follower of Jesus. Okay, so he's a follower of Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to look at some characteristics or one characteristic of John the Baptist that he exhibits as he follows Jesus. And it's going to help us learn and get better. So I'm going to look at John chapter 3. And we're going to look at several verses here. We're going to go through verses 22 through 30, okay? 22 through 30. So I'm going to read quite a bit right here. So this is what it says, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was baptizing Aaron near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming to be baptized. And this was before John was in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Okay, so you can pick up what's going on here. So John the Baptist's disciples now are getting a little upset because it's like, man, not everybody's coming to us now. And like the dude that you were talking to, now he's, he's on the other side. He's taking, all of our, he's taking all of our prophets, so to speak. I mean, in both senses of the word, I guess you could say. The prophets, people that could become prophets, and so to speak, prophets. I mean, like he's, the ministry over there is getting bigger and this one's getting smaller. And so they're upset, and they're, they're, in the, they're obviously in this for the wrong reasons, and now this is an opportunity for John the Baptist to teach his disciples something. And so the next verses, verses 27 through 30, is John the Baptist teaching his disciples, and this is where we're going to get this characteristic 
that John the Baptist had and exhibited through all of his ministry that I believe is going to teach us to know how to follow Jesus better. Okay, verse 27, this is it. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is, is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Okay, so maybe you, you caught it there. So he's talking about humility. All right, that's, what we're gonna, that's a characteristic that John the Baptist exhibits so powerfully in these words here. It's just humility. And that's a characteristic that every follower of Jesus has to have. So I want to give you, I want to give you three thoughts just up front here. We're going to unpack it as we go through. I'm going to give you three thoughts on humility. All right, so the first one is humility says, I've been given a lot. Or the second one is humility finds contentment in the assignment. And the third one, humility grows in worship of God. So again, humility finds, uh, humility says, I've been given a lot. Second one, humility finds contentment in the assignment and humility grows in worship of God. Okay, so we're gonna unpack these. If you're ready, say, I am. I am. Okay, so here we go. This first one, humility says, I've been given a lot. Verse 27, here you have John the Baptist. He replies and says, a person can only receive what is given to them from heaven. See, John the Baptist understood who he was and what he had was all because of and from God and God alone. He understood who he was. He had an accurate understanding of himself. And honestly, that's where humility starts. It's an accurate look at ourselves. It's not thinking too lowly of ourselves, but it's not thinking too highly of ourselves either. It's an accurate view of ourselves. I remember um, when I was in junior high, I had this aspiration and I was fully convinced that I was going to be this when I grew up. So when people would ask me, what are you going to be when you grow up? Which is a typical question that age. And I, I said, well, I'm going I'm to play in the NFL. I'm going to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. And um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I was like five foot tall and about 150 pounds. And so I think I could have been the water boy maybe. But I did not have a very accurate view of myself. And so my dad would ask me, you know, when I told him that, he was like, okay, cool. So if like that doesn't work out, do you have any other options? I was like, oh, oh, the brutal reality. So I did not make it beyond high school ball. But having a right view of ourselves is really, really important. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse three says this, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. And here's the reality. John the Baptist had an accurate view of himself and he had an accurate view because honestly he took what he said at the beginning there. He had the same view that the apostle Paul had whenever he was talking to Timothy. This is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 7. It says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. That's the reality. I mean, I have to have an accurate view of myself, that's what this is saying. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Look, we have to say, you know, this isn't, I didn't bring all this stuff into the world. This is not because of me, and it's not because of you. There's something else at work here. I, um, sometimes when I, I, I like to rest, I like to just veg and watch YouTube videos. Does anybody else do that? 
you just kind of veg and watch YouTube. Okay, I got a few, few people with me here. So I, okay, I'm just going to have an honest, vulnerable moment. So speaking of humility, all right, so I almost thought about not telling you guys this, all right? Almost, but sometimes, there have been times, there's been times where I've gotten on YouTube and I've kind of like gotten into it to where I wanted to see what the biggest, like baddest piece of machinery there was out there. Anybody else done that? Cool. Okay, next service, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that. I'm not, that's what I'm going to not do. I'm not going to tell anybody I do that. Um, my little secret. So, so, but, but here's the reality. There's some big machines out there, okay? I watched Bob the Builder when I was a kid, actually. <laughs> I don't think Bob the Builder was invented yet, so I'm that old. But there's some big machines out there. So think for just a second. This is going to help me with my illustration, all right? So, so, um, think about an earth mover, okay? One of those really big ones, okay? So they, they, they move like mountains, basically, all right? So you've got these huge, massive machines, they move all this stuff. But here's the reality. The, there's a person that operates it, and all they basically do is push buttons and pull levers. Now, I'm not denying they know what they're doing, okay? They've had to be trained and skilled and all that stuff. But the reality is they, they didn't really move the mountain. All they're doing is pulling some levers and pushing some buttons. And you know what? That's, that's like life. God honestly has given everything to us. He's given us a brain to think. He's given us the provision that we have. He's given us air to breathe. He's given all this stuff to us. And all we're doing is pulling the lever at the right time and pushing the right button. I mean, think about this for a second. Imagine if that, that operator of that big machine got out of the thing and was like, oh, man, I'm so strong. Like, I, I'm just so, so huge. I moved all of that myself. Like, no, you didn't. You pulled some levers. You pushed some buttons. That's all you did. Maybe you did it at the right time so you get a little bit of credit. But here's the reality. Everything's been put in place and it's been put in place by somebody else. And that person's God. And that's where humility starts. It's that accurate view of self. It's like, wait, I didn't have a whole lot to do with this. Yes, maybe I pulled the right lever at the right moment. But even then, it was God's grace to teach me when I should pull that, when I should do that thing. Ultimately, God has put all of this in place. And John the Baptist understood this. And that's why he was humble. It's an accurate view of ourselves. This is what James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change with the shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from God. That means Chick-fil-A is from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, well, now we're having church. We're having some church now. That means coffee is from the Lord. That means Reese's peanut butter cups is from the Lord. The reality is anything good in our lives is from the Lord, and he's the one that deserves the credit, not ourselves. And we may have been at the right moment, at the right time, pulling the lever, pushing the button, but ultimately God is the one that moved the mountain in our lives. He's the one that deserves all of the credit. The reality is your family, your friends, the provision in your life, your job, your house, your opportunities, your dog, your cat. Not your cat. Not your cat, actually. Not your cat. That's from someone else, okay? That's from someone else. Um, but all the other stuff is from the Lord because every good thing comes from God. And humility says, you know what? This is not because I'm so brilliant. It's because God 
is so good. So let me ask you this. Do you know that every good thing that you have comes from the Lord? Just, do you know that? It comes from Him. You know, an easy way that you could do this, maybe you already do this in your devotional time, but something that you could do is just at the beginning of your devotional time, just take some, a few minutes to thank God for all that he's given you in your life. Just to thank him for salvation. Thank him that, that you're now forgiven, that you know him and have relationship with him. Thank him for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for the, the friends that you have, the community. Thank him for the church that you go to. Thank him for the provision and job that, you, that you've got. Thank him for the house and the food and all those things. And as you continue to thank him for those things, it reminds us, this is not from me. This is from the Lord. And that's where humility ultimately begins. All right, so humility says, I've been given a lot. There's a second thing here. Humility finds contentment in the assignment. All right, humility finds contentment in the assignment. All right, verses 28 and 29 again. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is, is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So John the Baptist, he knew his purpose for his life. He knew why he was put on planet Earth and it was to be a forerunner. He knew his calling. And honestly, that's a worthwhile endeavor to figure out what your calling is, what your purpose is, what God wants you to do. I remember um, when I was 19, I, I got saved when I was 14 years old, but I was 19, I, I mean, I, I was on fire for God. I mean, I was just uh, really just loved the Lord and, and wanted to seek him in everything I did. And so I would go down to, I lived in Springfield, Missouri at the time, and I would go down to the square and I would, I would witness to people, just strangers. I'd go up to them and tell them about the Lord and, and I'd hand out tracts. I mean, I was just like, anytime I could just tell somebody about Jesus, I would do it. So I, um, there's one of the things that I decided to do. I was like, man, I could not just do this here in Springfield. I could do this all over the nation, all over the United States, go to big cities, go down the square. Maybe they got an event. I could tell others about the Lord. And so I thought to myself, I said, I need a van. I need a van to do this. So I had a little bit of money and I found an old white FedEx van, 1600 bucks. I bought it, had no windows except for at the back. And I had a buddy and I convinced him to go with me to travel the United States to tell people about Jesus. So we did. We went on a trip. And we set off on this trip. And the first thing that started happening was it started overheating. And so it started overheating. So we would take turns and we would go in the back and pray. And that would not overheat anymore. And it would actually go down. And then we would switch and then, you know, whatever. And so we, we did this. We went and we witnessed to people. And I remember one time being at... Uh, being at a KOA. So we had to have places to stay, so we stayed in parking lots. And it was so weird. It was so, I'll just be honest with you. I was like, yeah, so we stayed at a KOA, and we were surrounded by RVs and campers, and we pulled this white FedEx van on top of the concrete slab, and there we were, two dudes in a van, just uh, traveling the nation, telling people about Jesus. I realized later how weird that looked, and that maybe that wasn't uh, what the Lord had, but I knew my purpose, okay? I knew my purpose, but my method needed a little bit of help. You're learning a lot about me. Maybe this message is for me. I need to grow in humility, me telling you all these, these wonderful things about myself. So I knew my purpose, but it's still I need to work on my, my method. And, and here's the reality. Um, 
we have, to, we have to know that once you know your purpose, you can stay out of the comparison game. This is so important because on the other side of humility is pride in the comparison game. All right, but when you know your assignment, when you know what you're supposed to do, it keeps you out of that. It keeps you away from those things, which is so, so important. You know, I always appreciate, um, I would play football in, in, in high school, and, and I always appreciated the offensive line. Because, you know, they would, they would block, they would do their assignment, they'd do their part, but they never got to run the ball, they never got to score touchdowns. But here's the reality, the O-line, they didn't get on the sidelines and complain whenever their team scored a touchdown. They would be right there celebrating with them because they knew their assignment and they were content with it. They weren't comparing, oh, I didn't get to touch the ball, I didn't, I didn't get to score the touchdown. No, they were like, no, this was my role, this was my job, and this was a team effort. And when you do that in life, it makes all the difference. That's when humility comes out and John the Baptist knew what he was called to do. He knew his assignment and he was content with it. And that's where humility comes from. Ultimately, pride cares too much of what others think. Humility only cares what God thinks though. When, when you know what you've been called to do, you're not trying to impress anyone else. When you know what God has asked you to do, you're not trying to get a great name for yourself. You're trying to make a great name for him, that's ultimately your desire and your heart because you know what you've been called to do. And so that's what you're all about. So important. So you, for you, this is just a quick aside to this thought about assignment, knowing God's will and his plan and his purposes for your life. But you know, there's one of three categories you could be in. Maybe right now you don't know your specific uh, a plan that God wants for your life. Maybe you don't know. Okay, so your journey would be to figure that out. Maybe you do know what God wants you to do, but right now you're not doing that. It would be to say, okay, it's time to get back on track. Get out of the comparison game. Get out of the pride. Take a moment. Take a step of humility and say, God, I know that you've, you've called me to this. This is my assignment. Okay, I'm going to walk in that. Or you're in that third category. You know what God's asked you to do, and now you're doing that very thing. If you, you want to find God's will and his purpose for your life, you know, the first place to start is just the Bible. To look at it and say, okay, what does the Bible say I need to be doing? Because first, we have to do what God has revealed before we're, he's going to show us what he hasn't revealed for our lives. We've got to first start and say, okay, I need to do these things that God is telling me to do, what he's already revealed to me. You know, so for something, it might be loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. That's what he's revealed. So if we're not, we're not loving our spouse like we're supposed to, man, God's not going to be on, you're, you're doing that. And then he says, you turn to God and say, okay, what's your plan for my life? You can say, well, first we've got to deal with this right here. But as you begin to walk in obedience and serving him, and certainly not perfection, but it's about the direction of your heart, what he has revealed in the Bible, then you go to the next level and say, okay, so what are some godly friends in your life that you can turn to, that you can look to, that you can ask questions and say, hey, I've been thinking about this right here and you bounce it off of them. And that's why life groups are so important. That's why they're so, so critical because you can develop these friendships with other people that have perspective. And here's the reality. God will speak through those people. The Holy Spirit has a way of talking through other people and confirming things in your heart and your life and that helps you to know, okay, this is the next step that I need to take. So it's godly friends. And the last one is, you know, what is the Holy Spirit telling to your heart? You want to make sure you have all those in there, because sometimes if you just have one of them, you can get off track. But, but what is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? Are you in tune with him to know what he's speaking and saying? Are you spending time with him? It's so important that you do, because when you do that, now you can know your purpose and your assignment for your life. It's so critical. Okay, so this, this, the first one, 
that we grow in humility when we know we've been given a lot. We know that we, we grow in humility by finding the assignment, that um, being content with the assignment that God has given us. And this last one here, humility grows in worship of God. Humility grows in worship of God. All right, so John the Baptist said these words, and these words are so powerful. These are ones that we should hang on to, be, be a, just a go-to. And this is what he says. He, he said, he must become greater, and I must become less. This is, this is really an act of worship on John the Baptist's part. Like he's saying, hey, I'm gonna, God, I want to do your plan and your purpose and your will. Like this is not about me. This is about you. And while all of us are on a journey, we can't do that perfectly. That's why he says he must become greater and I must become less because it, it doesn't just happen like that. We've got, it's a process of God working with us and growing us and helping us. And this is why Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is what he said. Then he said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to become my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. There's lots of different paradoxes in Christianity, seeming contradiction. And honestly, this is, this is one of them. He's like, if you, want to, if you want to find life, the thing that you're chasing after, maybe for some, the, the thing at times in our life, or maybe you're here today, you're listening, tuning in online, or at South Campus, there's stuff in your life, you're chasing something, but it's not God, and you're trying to fulfill something in your life that's not of, of, of God. And you're trying to find life. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it. You're going to end up losing your life when you do that. But if you'll do this, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll give up your own life, your own way, your own way of doing life, and say you'll turn to Jesus, man, that's when you find life. That's when you find it. Just like that beginning verse to where he, he'll turn on the light for the room for you. That if you'll just take that step, that humble step to say, okay, God, yeah, I'll do this. Not my way. I've, I've been doing life my way, the sinful way. I've been off track. I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I'm going to follow you. It actually takes an act of humility to take that very first step. And it's an act of worship. As you do that, you grow in your Worship. It's putting God first before anything else. Before we worship again, I just want to take a moment to pray together and just uh, for all of us to examine our hearts and just to see where we are. Again, this is not about perfection. This is not condemnation. This is just an honest evaluation. God, this is where I am. Maybe I've been doing my own thing or maybe you've been walking away or, or maybe you've been not focused it's time to get back on track and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, Lord, for you. And when you do that, here's the crazy thing. When you do that, you find so much contentment, so much satisfaction. You find the joy that you're chasing in everything else. You actually end up finding it in God. And it's that step of humility that will get you there. Would everyone bow your heads and close your eyes at the North Campus, online at South Campus? I want to take an opportunity to pray for you. I want to pray for, for where you're at in your life and and where you are in your heart. And I just want just a moment between you and God, not anybody else, no one looking around, just between you and God to where you take that step and say, hey, you know what? I need to grow in that area of humility. I just want, I want 
you to take that step of humility, one, to, to take that step and admit, yeah, that's what I need. But also for me, just to be able to pray for you and believe that God's gonna work in your life. So one, two, three, if that's you, just lift up your hand. Say, yeah, I, I wanna take that step. I wanna grow in humility. My, my hand's raised right now because I, I know I need to grow in this. God, I just thank you for all those that have their hands raised. God, I pray you'd help us to grow in humility. Help us to take those steps, just like John the Baptist who was following Jesus. He was humble. God, may we be like that. That we're so content with our assignment. We're so understand everything that we have is from you and that we just ultimately become greater worshipers of you. God, I pray that you'd help us to take those steps. For some here that, that need to take that next step but just of obedience, they need to be loving their spouse in a better way. They need to be seeking you. They need to be in church more, they need to be in life group, whatever it is, whatever that thing you're speaking to them, Lord, I pray they would take a step of humility and, and abandon their own way and, and take up your way. And I pray you'd reward them and give them grace for it. God, we love you and we thank you, God, for what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here at the end of our service, let's take a moment. Let's worship the Lord. Do the very thing that we talked about in that third point. So would you stand to your feet and let's take a moment. Let's all worship together.